Welcome to Big SEC Guys. I'm your host, Daniel Poppy Southers, and this is my co-host, Tucker, the damn good dog, Compton. We are the Big SEC Guys. They're the Big SEC Guys. Tuck, we're back. Listeners, thanks for your patience. We we heard from a lot of you. I know, we took a week off. If you're wondering what we were doing, we were playing in the Savannah Golf Club member-member club championship. We had an all-big SEC guys team, so me and Tuck, two-man team. I'll go ahead and tell you, it was was a dream weekend for the podcast. We won our flight. We won the... uh, chip off to go into the shootout and then we made it all the way to the final four so tuck was this was this weekend better than our wildest dreams thinking about the member member i mean coming from a guy that hasn't played real competitive sports in a while getting into my 30s you know it was nice to just feel that adrenaline again oh my you gosh know? to oh like gosh. be there in a playoff scenario kind of a do or die playing hole by hole there at the end and knowing yeah. we needed big shots to get us through and, and, and pulling them off. Like, I don't know. It, it, for me, it was just exciting and fun to be a part of. You nailed it. The competitive juices were flowing. We, uh, our, our, our final match was against the, we were in first, our final match was against the team that was in second. Uh, and we were, we were all square with, uh, three holes to go going into the three hardest holes. Um, and we pulled it off. We managed to hold on and then uh, ended up winning our flight. But Tuck, you're right. Our opponents, we were playing these guys. You know, they were they were all chatty. We were having a good time. And then three holes left. Nobody was talking to anybody. <laughs> I mean, it was just game yeah. on. Com- Everyone the com- was in the competition bag. juices were flowing. We ended up tying them, turning it into a putt off. Daniel yeah. knocks a putt to uh, three inches. Everyone thought we were going to, like, he nailed it. So, that was a good one. That I mean, that was awesome to send us into the playoff, and then the playoff itself was was electric. And then shout out to the the patrons of the Savannah Golf Club. Tuck, is it fair to say we were for about three holes there? We were a the crowd favorites and b the two most popular guys at the golf club. Is that it fair? Sh- it sure felt that way. It was uh, unbelievable. I, I don't know what was going on. I don't know why. I, I just think we kept pulling cu- pulling shots off and getting further yeah. than people expected <laughs> us to. And so that, you know, everyone loves a good underdog story. Um, I think that that was definitely a big part of it. But who knows? Oh, it was so funny. We kept uh, in the shootout, we kept putting each other in bad spots and then just pulling out these shots to move on. We just yeah. kept hitting golf shots, which was great. So thanks for your patience, listeners. Uh, we're back. We're back. We're better than ever. Y'all know this. We're trying to mix things up on the pod. We're trying to keep it interesting, keep it fresh. So you've probably seen uh, some of the things on the Instagram. You've probably seen some of the emails. You've seen some of the texts. We uh, we solicited for questions from our viewers. We've got a great viewership. We're averaging about 100 listeners, 100, 100 unique uh, viewers, downloads per episode, which is exciting. Uh, and we got, we got a ton of questions. So we've got, we're going to do an sec mailbag episode. We've got 10 questions from our, uh, listeners. We picked out our 10 favorites. So if your question gets pulled, congrats, you should feel honored. 
there were definitely more than 15 questions. So very, very exciting to be, be in the top 10. We're going to run through these questions. I'm going to, I'm going to give Tuck some of these. I'm going to take some of these and we're going to tell you the answers you're looking for. So Tuck, you ready to do this? I'm ready, buddy. Let's do it. And we're calling this the SEC mailbag. SEC mailbag. That's our jingle. Live <laughs> in the moment. Love the tunes. One of Tucker's friends said we need more jingles. So there you go, Tucker's friend. I don't remember your name. <laughs> now, now you get to listen to Dan sing before every new deal that we do. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Miss Roos, Savannah Country Day Corona teacher. Shout out to Noli, who's barking right now. Sorry <laughs> about that. She was excited to hear me sing. Tuck, first question's from you from one of our listeners, and that's, how's UGA going to do without Brock Bowers? Walk us through it. So, you know, I think it's terrible timing, first of all. I I wish it was right at the beginning of the season for the Bulldogs when we had an easier stretch. Um, It it could go one of two ways. I, I mean, right now, he is Carson Beck's safety blanket. So, so that's got to change. We're, we're going to have to spread it around. That being said, I, I mean, I don't think there's a lack of weapons there for the Bulldogs. I mean, Oscar Dell was the number one tight end in the country coming out of high school in his class. Lawson Lucky, who just came off of the same surgery that Brock Bowers is now going through, kind of got his first reps in the Vanderbilt game. He was the number two tight end in his class. And all things are pointing to Lawson Lucky being a, a complete stud. Um, I, I I mean, you don't hear things about freshmen like we've been hearing about Lawson Lucky. And, and we thought he was going to tr- contribute a little bit earlier. Um, but then he, he got injured early in the season um, or in the offseason, which took him out early in the season. Also, you know, we had we were banged up at receiver and breaking in new receivers. Our two transfers with Ra Ra Thomas and Dominique Lovett. I, I think Ra Ra was hurt off season, so it, it's been taking him a little bit longer to get in. And Dominique, he's been a little spotty early on, but you know we saw him kind of go off in that Vanderbilt game, and I think he's going to be one of those guys. I think he might turn into that safety uh, blanket option that. Brock Bowers was where he's just going to be kind of open across the middle and we're going to be able to hit him for those seven round seven yard pumps. Now I don't think he's going to turn them into 20 yards like Brock does, but he's going to be able to catch a lot of those. And then lads obviously coming back. Dylan Bell has shown us some really good flashes throughout the year. Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint has been Mr. Reliable. And That's then, name in college football, FYI. <laughs> hardest one to say on the pod. Um, and then Arian Smith, our over-the-top you know, guy who, who has uh, – he's been spotty this season too, had some drop balls, but I think we're going to take some shots with him. So at the end of the day, I don't think it should affect us that much, but it might. And, and what it really boils down to is Carson Beck and, and whether he – can really change his tune and figure out how to utilize these other weapons more because I think he leaned on Brock Bowers a little bit too much early in the season. And so at the end of the day, if we can get through this tough stretch of games between Florida, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Missouri, then we should end up better on the other side of things. 
but you got to get through it first. So that's the real question is if we can do that and, and, and get through everything. Tuck, I think that's a wise, I think that's a wise answer there. There's a reason I think you're one of the best in the, the podcasting business. Um, I've got, I've got Georgia. I'm going to take this quickly because I think you absolutely nailed it. I've, I've got Georgia taking care of business against Florida without Brock, but uh, I, I'm going to, I guess I'll call my shot for the listeners. I think they're going to lose to Missouri, Ole Miss or Tennessee. One of the three, not obviously not all three, probably not two of the three, but I think Georgia's going to drop one of those games. And I think it's going to be primarily because Brock Bowers is in there. I mean, we, we all watched the Auburn game. No Brock Bowers, Georgia loses that game. I mean, he absolutely took over the fourth quarter of that game. He's Carson Beck's security blanket for good reason. He's one of the best players in college football. Um, So I think this is going to be an interesting stretch, but you know, then we're thinking he's out five or six games. That's five or six games. So he's back, back for the sec championship and probably back for the playoff. If Georgia's a one loss sec champion. So should be interesting to see what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I I agree. I mean, I don't agree. I don't think we still shouldn't lose a game at the end of the day. He is still a tight end. I, I get it. He's the most dynamic tight end in the country. Uh, but he, a tight end doesn't move the needle more than three or four points most, if you're thinking Vegas lines of something. And none of these games are going to be three, four-point games from a spread standpoint. Uh, I, I mean, I do think these games just got a little tighter, and I think these games are – all games that Georgia could potentially lose, but it's one of those things that if you look at the big picture of things, if they play 10 times, how many times does one team beat the other? Uh, Yeah. Georgia might lose to Tennessee once, maybe twice, Missouri twice, maybe three times. Uh, But Ole Miss in that same area, but they should win, you know, seven, eight, nine times out of 10 with or without Brock Bowers. Now, You know, that, that it, it makes it tougher, though. So the question is, will Carson Beck stand up, step up and, and find his other weapons and utilize them more? And like I said, I think it should help us out on the other side of things. I like that. The only uh, the only thing I'm going to pick on you there about do you think Kansas City Chiefs fans say, uh, you know, tight end doesn't really matter about Travis Kelsey? Well, Tight end doesn't really move the needle, Travis Kelsey. That's that's a little different uh, beef sure. there for them. They've obviously got. I mean, I um, think Brock Bowers is Travis Kelsey asking the NFL. I'll just say that. I'll throw that out there for the pod, for the list. Yeah, I think our wide receivers are better in Kansas City's wide receivers, though. And All we've right. got a better. I think we also have a better backup tight end in Oscar Delp. If we're comparing college to NFL. You heard it here, listeners. Georgia Bulldogs <laughs> defeat Kansas City Chiefs. That's Tucker, the darn good dog, Compton. Uh, from a comparative standpoint, which you know, I get, I get what you're saying, and Brock Bowers being like him <laughs> yep. and being yep. the go-to guy. But you know, having Oscar Delp step in, I honestly think that that's like having uh, who's the Lions tight end who's. Sam Laporta, yeah, he's a stud. Yeah, yeah, someone like him stepped back in there. So, like, it, it's not that deep of a drop-off like it is when the Chiefs actually do lose Kelsey. Yeah, good call. 
There you go, listeners. Go ahead and clip that. Georgia greater than Kansas City Chiefs. Get us viral on Twitter. We could use the following. <laughs> That's exactly what we needed. All right, let's go to the next question, Tuck. And I'm going to let you start with this one, too. So Arkansas has just fired their offensive coordinator, Danny Enos. We all saw that. Um, so it's a, it's a two-parter from one of our listeners. A, what is going on with Arkansas? And B, are they going to fire Sam Pittman? So this was one, and I I told you before, I left my notes at home. So I am winging this a little bit, but I did a lot of research on this. And uh, right now, the way Sam Pitt, it it really boils down to his contract. I I think he would have been fired this week if it wasn't for his contract. But instead, they just fired Enos in hopes that he can maybe turn it around. But I believe the current record since 2021 is that he's 18 and 16. And the way that his contract reads is that because he's a year, it was a four-year or five-year contract. And so because he's a year in, he would have to get paid out 75% of his contract, which is around $22 million at the end of the year if he is over 500 since the beginning of 2021. Uh, which is just is strange that they wrote up the contract this way, but that's what they did. And it was the start of 2022, I think, when they wrote it. Um, and because he's 18 and 16, essentially all he has to do is win one game in his following four games in order to get the full 75% of his contract, which is around $16 million. And then if he doesn't get that, if he doesn't get to 500, if he loses out the, his final four games, then he will have been under 500. And that would make it to where they only have to pay him 50%. So it essentially saves Arkansas $5 million. So the quick answer there is no, they're not going to fire him. But the long answer is because they want to ride this out and see if he's going to go over four and they can maybe save $5 million. Uh, do I think he's gone at the end of the season? Absolutely. It's just a matter of, we might as well wait this thing out and see if he gets under 500 to save ourselves some money. Tuck, I'm with you. The, uh, the, our investigative team, our data team did some, did some, uh, some Googling while you were talking. It does look like Sam Pittman currently is 21 and 23. That's his record as Arkansas's head coach. Yeah, but uh, it goes, it only goes back to the beginning of 2021. It does not count the 2020 season. Um, oh, okay. That's where you're seeing that. Yeah. Okay. yeah so it's a good season. It, it was, it, it's because they reworked his contract, I believe, in 2022. And when okay. they did it in 2022, they counted that when they wrote in that stipulation, they counted 2021, I guess. Um, Sam Pittman's got one hell of a, a good, contract good negotiator. agent. I bet it's uh, I, I I bet you it's Jimmy Sexton. Let's look. It might be, and if I it is, in my life it's Jimmy Sexton. He, there uh, you go, super agent Jimmy Sexton. He might have just saved his client five million dollars, and that's why you pay him. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Jimmy uh, Sexton represents thirteen of fourteen SEC head coaches, which is funny. He's got a monopoly on the weird. SEC head coaches. But that's good research, Tuck. I'm, uh, I think they fire him at the end of the season. I agree. Um, Arkansas has still got to play at Florida versus Auburn and versus Missouri. I've got Arkansas losing all three of those games. That would put them at uh, three and nine on the season and then 0 and eight in the SEC. And you can't come back from that. 
Um, Sam Pittman is trying to scapegoat Dan Enos, which I like and respect that he's pulling that move. It's a classic head coach move. Um, he, he came out today and did, uh, did a couple interviews and said like, you know, Dan just wasn't working. It just wasn't working with us. You know, <laughs> he was, he was doing that thing where he was like trying to, uh, do right by Dan Enos while at the same time entirely placing all of the blame on him. So it was, it was funny to listen to his presser. He had a, a media press conference this morning. It was funny to listen to that and hear him talk about yeah, well, the offensive know, coordinator. When we were doing our preseason QB rankings, I put KJ Jefferson so high because I yeah. of all the offensive coordinator turnover, I believed in Dan Enos almost the most because 100%. he had 100%. familiarity at Arkansas. He was Sam Pittman's guy. It just felt like it was going to be such an easy, smooth transition while some of these other ones might be rockier. And boy, were we wrong about that. And Danny Ennis is like a, a well-respected, good offensive coordinator. Let's just, let's throw that out there. Right. This isn't like some, you know, no offense. This isn't like a Marcus Satterfield who's come out of nowhere. And you're like, this guy's going to be a disaster. Like this is a, this is a well-respected big time offensive coordinator. We're talking, you know, he, he was offensive coordinator before at Arkansas. We're talking associate head coach at Alabama. We're talking offensive coordinator at Miami, offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, offensive coordinator at Maryland. Like this is not some slouch, nobody offensive coordinator. So it, it's interesting to see that he hasn't been successful with Tuck. You nailed it. KJ Jefferson, who's our preseason number two ranked quarterback and Raheem Rocket Sanders, our preseason number two running back. So surprising yeah. to see this happen the way it's happening, but that's the SEC for you. You never know what you're going to get, but for the Arkansas fans listening, I think we both have, I think we both have Pittman getting fired at the end of the season. And he's going to make some very, some team very happy as their offensive line coach next year. Yeah. He is one of the best offensive line coaches in football. That's just a fact. That's the truth. So I'm, I'll probably be Bama. They'll probably find a way to get him, especially with their, offensive line woes that they're going through right now um oh i don't gosh. know who their o-line coach is but they'll find a way to get rid of him and get Pittman and get every five star in the world on their team i love it that's probably gonna happen that's such a good call out let's see who their offensive line coaches i think it's uh yeah it was eric walford who was at south carolina previously and wasn't very good i'm not sure how that how that happens he'll be not gone sure how you spend spend four years at south carolina be objectively pretty bad and then get the Alabama job. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing that? It's failing well, upwards. For I guess it's all if Saban sticks around or not. That's the real question. If he gets out, then we might be looking at a whole whole new set over there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so the next one's for me, Tuck. I, I'll take us through it and then feel free to uh, add any flavor, add anything you want there. And this is a good one. So the question is from one of our, our South Carolina listeners, and it's a, it's a simple one. Um, a, is Shane Beamer on the hot seat? And B, how does he fix this mess? Um, so I'll, I'll start with question A, is Shane Beamer on the hot seat? No, no, Shane Beamer is not on the hot seat. Our athletic director is a guy named Ray Tanner, who's absolutely terrible. He was a great baseball coach, so we we decided to make him our athletic director, which is just a horrific, horrific decision from the South Carolina board of trustees. But he, uh, he loves Shane. Shane recently just got a contract extension as well. So I think we're going to give Shane at least four or five years. This of course is year three. The rails have come off a little bit where, uh, 
we're two and five. We're, we're definitely going to lose to Texas A&M uh, Saturday. We're, if you're betting, I would take Texas A&M. We're, I think we're going to get killed because we're missing basically all of our important players with the exception of Spencer Rattler. So we're going to be two and six. I think we beat Jacksonville State and Vandy. And I think both of those games are close. And then I think we lose to Kentucky and Clemson. So we're going to be four and eight, which isn't good. The question's a good one. How do we fix this mess? Uh, and it starts with firing our defensive coordinator, Clayton White. Uh, South Carolina's defense has been really bad. If you look at the data, I, I pulled some of the efficiency numbers from Vegas. Um, shout out to a Vegas buddy who helped me do that. South Carolina's 85th in the country in offensive efficiency and 110th in the country out of 130 teams uh, in defensive efficiency. So if you look at the data, we're 13th in the SEC in offensive efficiency, uh, and then we're 14th in defensive efficiency. Of course, there are only 14 teams, so we're the second worst offensive team and the worst defensive team. We're going to give Dow Loggins, the offensive coordinator, a pass because I, I don't think he has a ton to work with, and I think he's actually has some pretty good game plans. Um, but Clayton White does not get a pass, so... Uh, if you look at five or six different SEC quarterbacks that have played South Carolina this season, so that being Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Florida, Missouri, so those are five games right there. Uh, four of the five quarterbacks have had their best game this season statistically against the South Carolina defense. Clayton, White's, Clayton White, our defensive coordinator, is is overwhelmed. Um, we don't have any depth. He He's not done a good job of game planning. So I think step one is we fire him. And then I think step two is we fire our running backs coach, Montario Hardesty. He um, is not a good running back, running backs coach. He's not a particularly good recruiter. So I think we fire those two in a perfect world. We find a really good defensive coordinator. And then I think we actually end up poaching Arkansas's running back coach, Jimmy Smith, who I think is really good. And he's from South Carolina. So. I think if we can make those two moves, we can salvage this mess a little bit. We're going to be really young next year, so we're, we'll see. We'll see what the future looks like. And if we're going to give Shane a fifth year, we'll see what we'll see if things are better in 2025. So, Tuck, there's sort of the, the long-winded answer to that. Any thoughts, questions? Yeah, I mean, I'll let you, I'm not going to speak to the how to fix it thing because I, I, you know better than I do, Dan. You're, you're way more in tune with the program. and, and Sure certain levels of certain departments and everything else. Um, but at the end of the day, South Carolina fans to a degree need to remember that they're South Carolina. Y'all overachieved the past two years of Beamer. And then this year, you know, y'all's offensive line is terrible. Y'all have hit some injuries. Y'all just don't have the depth from a recruiting standpoint and the longstanding recruiting standpoint to sustain, you know, five straight great years. Uh, and the past two years were, were really good years for South Carolina standards. So inevitably you were going to have a bad one. Um, and I, I, I just, I think putting Beamer on the hot seat or anything like that is, is crazy. Uh, I do. I, I think the reason some people even say stuff like that. It's a probably the the rabid South Carolina fans that you know expect national championships, um, and B just Beamer is a, he sticks his foot in his mouth a little more often than he should, and so people probably you know get turned off by that. But 
in general, you know, I think he's done a good job with the South Carolina program, picking up the pieces and and getting y'all to where you are. Yes, you're having a down year, but at the end of the day, y'all still have Clemson on the schedule. And guess who else is having a bad year? Clemson. That's if y'all win point. that game, literally all, all is forgiven. Everything is point. forgiven. No one gives a shit about <laughs> what happened the rest of this season. All you have to do is beat Clemson and everyone's going to love Beamer again. And my guess is Beamer pulls something like that off because that's just kind of what he does. Um, and, and even if he doesn't this year, like it, it, with these teams like South Carolina, they've got that can be good. It, it, it's more of a depth issue than anything. You're, you're not going to have four year, four really good years in a row. You're, you're going to have, Two on, one off, two on, one off. And, and that's just kind of the cycle of it. And this just happens to be an off year for the Gamecocks. Yeah, we just, you know, we've got, uh, we're a proud fan base, Tuck. We want we want to be better. And we got spoiled. We got spoiled when I was in college because we had three straight 11-win seasons. So we got a little taste of, of, of what we could be in a perfect world. So True. And I think you nailed it. You said one thing that really resonated with me, and that's, Beamer's, you know, I don't even want to say slowly. Beamer's pretty quickly becoming like one of the worst press conference coaches in college football. I mean, <laughs> he's starting opposing, to become the antagonist. Oh my god! You see, football is kind opposing, of funny. opposing fan bases hate him. Like the Tennessee Volunteer fan base absolutely hates Shane Beamer with a passion. The Missouri fan base absolutely hates Shane Beamer with a passion. And he goes in these press conferences and he just shoves his foot. Right, right down his throat. I mean, North Carolina, he complains about the line judges eating hot dogs. Missouri, yeah. after we get killed, he he goes in the press conference and he, he rants for 10 minutes, Tuck, about the, the visitor's media center. He's like, we should have a better <laughs> 10, 10 minute rant. We should have a better media area. This is a joke. This is the, Missouri sucks. Like he does this whole thing. And it's like, that's that's what you're mad about. You're not mad about getting slaughtered against Missouri, a team in theory we should, you know, be competitive with. Florida, Um, he comes out with a broken toe. (laughs) Oh, Florida, he kicks the locker, breaks two bones in his foot, and then comes to the next prop, comes to the next presser and goes like, I'm just going to get it over with. I broke my foot kicking a locker like it. You know, talk about a athletic director that, thought it know? was funny. <laughs> oh my god! He's like, yeah, you know, like every. I don't want anyone talking about the loss anymore. Maybe they'll talk about my broken toe. But he probably had like a little hairline fracture and like wasn't even a big deal. Maybe that's part of it. He uh, and then we we have this like high four star defensive tackle. He kicked him off the team this morning and then did a presser and was like. You know, he wasn't a team guy. He didn't want to travel and like burn his red shirt. I'm like, Shane, what are we doing here, man? What is going on? Well, you know, honestly, I respect that. I I I don't I don't respect the teams that keep those kind of players around. Um and so I, I, I do think Beamer is I think he Loki has a really good culture in that locker room. I think his players love him. I think that athletic department loves them like you said earlier and um do opposing fan bases hate them yeah but who gives a shit so you know uh, he'll come back next year he'll win some games and like i said if he won beat clemson this year he's right back on top so 
You make an excellent point. Um, and also, Tuck, you like Beamer because he's never going to beat Kirby Smart. That's like me when I was like, I love Mark Richt. What a what a good Christian. What a good family man. In my head, I was like, this guy's not going to ever get it done with Georgia. That's why um, I really loved him. Don't get me wrong. I hate Shane Beamer. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love I, it. Total, I, total 180. I absolutely hate Shane Beamer. I, I'm looking at this through a South Carolina lens, and I think y'all would be idiots if y'all got rid of him. Um, but – I, I I think he's a complete bezo. I mean, like from like, the press, like everything about it, I hate him. But like, I truthfully, I just don't. I don't think any South Carolina is going to get any coach that's going to beat Kirby Smart like um, Spurrier beat Mark Ray. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I just I, as long as we have Kirby on the team, that's just not going to happen. F- for a regular time period. Now it'll one off happen here and there, but I think Beamer's that kind of guy that'll one off beat us here and there. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, South Carolina was 30 seconds from getting Kirby smart and they were 30 seconds from getting Lincoln Riley and we uh, didn't get either. So, you know what they say? It's, uh, it's all, it's all chaos until you sign the bottom line. We never got them to sign. So it is what it is. We're stuck with Shane Beamer. And now, time for a quick commercial break. This podcast is sponsored by Pintail Site Preparation. The team at Pintail is providing the best site preparation work in Savannah, Georgia, and throughout the Lowcountry. If you need the best site prep team in the business, give Pintail a call. Pintail Site Preparation's goal is to deliver the highest quality, most cost-effective projects on schedule by supporting motivated, flexible, and focused teams, while most importantly, emphasizing on safety. If it's site preparation you want to nail, go ahead and call Pintail. Pintail site preparation, the best in Georgia and the low country. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to the next one. Uh, the next one's from one of our Auburn fans, and that's uh, you guys need to talk about Auburn more. Okay, <laughs> listener, this, uh, this isn't a suggestion box. This is a mailbag. That's not a question. So we're going we're gonna to keep moving on. Wait, wait, wait. I actually got a hot take for that one. Love because it. Tell me more. I think I'm going to just throw this out there. I haven't said it all season, but that Alabama-Auburn game is going to be real tight this year. I think – I said at the beginning of the year, I think Auburn upsets Georgia, LSU, or Alabama. Wow. They haven't gotten through Georgia or LSU yet. So I'm thinking that they spoil Alabama's season at the end of the year, and I think they pull off a crazy upset. Tuck, you dog. They, they iron bowl. They've got him at home. They've got him in Jordan Hare. So I could see that. I mean, this is going to be a that's going to be a defensive battle, and those games are typically close when it's two offenses that aren't great. Those are typically close games. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a defensive battle. It's going to be chaos. It's the iron bowl. At the end of the day, it's at Auburn. So, I, I, I mean, I do think that Alabama will probably be double-digit favorites in that game, but I, Auburn will at least keep it close, and I think they'll have a chance to win that game if nothing else. And, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call my shot and say they're going to pull it off. Tuck, can I can I just double down on your shot call but add something to it? Auburn fans, go ahead and go ahead and turn the volume up if you're listening to this in your car, which we've the data says is most of our listeners. So thank you for that. Um, I've got Auburn winning out. 
Mississippi State win, at Vandy win, at Arkansas win, New Mexico State win versus Alabama win. There Five you go. in a row to finish the year. How about that, Auburn fans? Is that enough Auburn talk? <laughs> we're uh, we're bullish. We're bullish on the Auburn Tigers. So we've got you. We've got you winning five in a row and going eight and four. Pretty good start for Hugh Freeze. You'll better not turn around and lose to Mississippi State this week. I know, or get stumped, <laughs> or get like getting a getting a quasi shootout with Vandy and lose. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! All right, Tuck. Next one's from our. We've got a couple of LSU listeners per the data, so this is a good one. I, I I'm curious about this too. Why aren't we hearing more about Jalen Daniels, Jaden Daniels, in the Heisman hunt? So. It's crazy, and I again, I had all these stats pulled up. I, I I think he's got the number one passer rating. He's got he's like three yards short of, of the most passing yards in the country. He's yep. nailed it. Um, he's got most got the most passing least interceptions, most yards, best rating. Yeah, everything. I mean, all the stats put him there. But then when you go to Heisman Watch on ESPN, he, he's not on the damn board. <laughs> uh, now that being said when you go to vegas he's got the third best odds yep um and so i actually looked back and was looking at the one thing i could think of i was like well they've got two losses early which means they're probably they've got like a two percent shot actually making the playoff so i was like well how many players since the playoff has started have won the Heisman without making it to the playoff, leading their teams to the playoff. And it's really only two out of nine. And it was Lamar Jackson and Caleb Williams last year. Um, And Lamar Jackson, I think his team was only nine and three, but obviously his stats were just absolutely outrageous. Um, And then Caleb Williams last year, um, he had really good, stats too but you know they they came up short and they they lost two games and didn't make it to the playoff uh so so i don't see why that's really a huge hindrance for him um i was hope i mean i thought it was going to be like maybe just lamar jackson but then i remember caleb williams just last year did it so i really don't know i uh, my answer to this question is go throw your money on him now at plus 350 because i think he might win it I'm with you, Tuck. I, uh, I, I'm just I'm confused by this. I, you're right. You look at some of these Heisman boards. He's not even on there. And I get I get it. LSU lost to Florida State, and they lost to Ole Miss. Um, and neither of those were Jaden Daniels' faults. If you watched either of those football games, that was a LSU defense fault. If if you're confident that Jane Daniels is, is the best quarterback in college football. And I, I think there's a good argument to be made that he's one of them. I mean, uh, if you like data, like we do, he's three yards. He's in second place in passing yards. He's leading the country in passing touchdowns. He's only thrown three interceptions and he's got the best QB rating in the country. So the data really likes Jaden Daniels. Uh, and he's, he's down the list on the Heisman and, you know, if you're going to bet on him to win the Heisman, I would encourage you to do that now because they play at Alabama next week. They've got to buy this week and then they go at Alabama. And that's going to be his, 
that's going to be his Heisman game. If they beat Alabama and he has 400 yards and a bunch of touchdowns, he is going to shoot up the Heisman draft board. And if you're wondering who's ahead of him on all these draft boards, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan is all, all of a sudden the Heisman sweetheart. Tuck, I, do we even care about data anymore, or is the Heisman just the best quarterback? <laughs> is the Heisman just the best quarterback on the best team? So, it's clearly not, because if it was, Stetson would have won last year. So right. like, what, are we, what are we doing? I think it's one of those – we're in a weird time. It's a good time to bet on the Heisman, because I think people kind of forget that once the season ends and – at, we kind of hit the lull of those early games or the early bowl games that no one really cares about. And then the Heisman voting's taking place in that time period. People tend to stop remembering what JJ McCarthy did against, you know, an <laughs> Indiana sure. team or against something like that. Penn State. Yeah. They, they, they really start to stack the stats next to each other. And then it becomes a harder argument. You know, you look at the stats first and you say, okay, so here's all our stat leader guys. And then from there, let's move into the, well, who did they play? What did they do to these teams? What did their team do? How did they lead? Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think you take Jane Daniels off this LSU team and they're a completely different team. If you take JJ McCarthy off that Michigan team, I don't know if they're a completely different team. Uh, I, I, I think they're still blowing out these teams. And that's that was the argument against Stetson for years, too. Sure. So I get it, and, and it is what it is. Um, but I, I think, honestly, he's Jane Daniels is sitting there in third solely because people are expecting LSU to lose at least one more game because they still have this Alabama game that they're underdogs in. They've got a tough Florida game that they got to play and a tough Texas A&M game. And, and they could potentially lose two of those games. And so yeah, that, with that defense, they could, that's a good point. Yeah. And if they're, I mean, if they're a four loss team, he's got no chance, um, which is sad because his offense hasn't been a part of it, but he just, he hasn't been that much of a freak to overcome that. Uh, and, and there's good. And the other thing is there's good team players on good teams. Like Michael Penix is tearing up at Washington right now, and they have a good chance of going undefeated and going into the playoff. Uh, and if he keeps up his stats and he does that with his team, then he's going to win over Jane Daniels. J.J. McCarthy, you know, I, I still don't see the stats there for him. I, I wouldn't bet on him. I think he's kind of a over-sale right now. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Tuck, you beat me to the you beat me to the advice there, and you nailed you, you absolutely nailed it. Um, if if you happen to be at the sports book and you think I want to do a future Heisman bet, I, I would encourage you to to place a wager on Jane Daniels and Michael Penix Jr. Because um, those are those are the two the data. I mean, those are the two stat guys. Um, Michael Penix leads the country in passing yards, and he's played one less game than everyone else, which is amazing. Um, and Jaden Daniels is a close second. And both those guys have a thousand more yards than JJ McCarthy. So it's like, what are we doing with this everybody loves JJ McCarthy thing right now? I you know the other fun I, I saw Jane Daniels is is the fifth highest rusher 
of all quarterbacks in the country oh, yeah. right now. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, and the, the other, the four ahead of them are are like you know primary running type quarterbacks. So, um, I don't know. I think that he he's a stud. He he should be number one in the conversation right now. And if he gets a win over Alabama uh, in oh, a couple of weeks, shoot up it, board. It, he will be number one. Yeah, he's going to skyrocket up that board. All right, Dan. So what's the next question you got for us? All right. Next one, Tuck. Is Luther Burden the third the best wide receiver in the country? So Luther Burden the third, he's got a strong argument. I, I think from a usage standpoint, He's right there. I think if you take him off of this Missouri team uh, from just an MVP standpoint, I, it's hard to argue against him. Um, that being said, we got Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously. Everyone's got him going number two in the draft. And I also think that take him off of Ohio State's team and they are severely uh, diminished. I don't think that this I, – I think this Ohio State team's probably got a loss or two under their belt if they don't have him on the team. Um, and then you got some players like Zacharias Branch at USC. I, I know he's a true freshman, but that guy's flashes early in the season before he got injured were absolutely insane. Um, and I think he's got a good chance at becoming – a better receiver, but due to the fact that he's still a true freshman and hasn't really completely shown it, I, you can't really put him above it. Um, and again, I lost my notes here, but then we got Malik neighbors, obviously yep, statistics wise. Yeah. He's up there, but if you're looking from just like a pure talent standpoint, Malik neighbors, I mean, he, he's a six foot wide receiver. He's speedy, but he doesn't have the size and, and attributes that LB3 does. Is there anyone else that I'm missing? And I, I, Who's Washington's? Uh... Yep, that was the only one I was going to throw in. You nailed it. So for me, the question is, Luther Burden III the best receiver in the country? I, I think the better question is, is Luther Burden III even the best receiver in the SEC? Because Malik Neighbors is going to have a – I mean, he might have a 2,000-yard type year, including the ball game, if he you know gets hot these last few games. So I, I think there's a good argument that Malik Neighbors is the best quarterback in the SEC. I think it's either him or Luther Burden. Those are my top two. And then, Tuck, you're right. Marvin Harrison doesn't quite have the data that those guys have, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in college football. That's just a fact. And then uh, – Michael Pinnock Jr.'s favorite targets, a guy named Robe Odunzi, uh, and he's an absolute stud. So you can make an argument for him, too, being one of the top guys. Well, I'd be curious to see if Luther Burden were coming out in this draft period where he would where he would mark up with some of these guys, um, especially if you, if you could. We'll never know. Give him an extra year of experience, you know, take. But I don't see why he's not going to be a top three, five three or five pick next year. Um, I think he's that kind of talent level. I think he is Marvin Harrison Jr. talent level. I just don't think people are quite talking about him in the same light because we're not getting 2025 mock drafts yet. But as soon as we do, 
he's going to be talked about just like Marvin Harrison. You make a good point. It says, could this be an age issue? This is just his second year. He's a sophomore. He's not draft eligible. So we're just not hearing as much about him because if you look at the draft boards, I mean, every draft board you look at has Marvin Harrison going number two and then Malik Neighbors going in the six to eight range. So those are two top 10 NFL picks. And I fully suspect Luther Burden III to be a top, let's call it seven or eight pick in 2025. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think he, I think he's a game changer type wide receiver, kind of like Marvin Harrison. I really see him being a top five type guy, and I, I can't say he's better than Marvin Harrison, but I think give him another year, and why not? You know, he's for me, he's right there. Put him on Ohio State. What is this guy doing? Yeah. All this, I think he's doing most of the same things. So, um. I just think I, Marvin Harrison is like so, so good. I watch him. I'm like, this guy's unbelievable size, speed, catch radius, ability to high point the football, ability to get the foot down. I mean, I just, I'm so impressed with him. I, I think he, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best player in college football. Yeah. I mean, I don't period. disagree with you right now, but yeah, I, Next year, will Luther Burn? I guess the the real question should be: Next year, will Luther Burn the third be the best wide receiver in football? It's a good point. It's a good. And question. then I think it's him versus Zacharias Branch uh, at USC. Who? Oh, watch! He was him. electric before he got hurt. <laughs> oh my gosh, he is in, incredible. Talk um, about a jolt of lightning before he got injured. Unbelievable. Yeah. So we'll see. All right, Tuck. Let's keep it rolling. This is a. This is a long one, but a good one. So this is from one of our listeners. I'm going to read this verbatim, so forgive me, because this is a bit of a long one, but we're, we're, we like the long questions. I have a hypothetical scenario slash playoff question I want to ask the big SEC guys. Let's say Georgia loses one to either Missouri, Florida, or Tennessee, in parentheses, which is possible by all accounts without Brock Bowers. Excellent point. Let's say Alabama wins out and makes the SEC championship game and wins, playing a presumably one-loss Georgia or one-loss Missouri. Here's the question. Does a one-loss Bama and SEC champion still make the playoffs given the remaining undefeated teams, conference strength of schedules, etc.? Or is the only way for Bama to make the playoffs is to beat an undefeated Georgia in the SEC championship game? meaning the Alabama fans, ironically, would need to cheer for Georgia so they can beat them to go to the playoff. Thanks for your input. That's a long one, Tuck, but the question's simple. Do the Alabama fans want to beat, do they have to beat an undefeated Georgia to make the playoffs, or is a one-loss Alabama team in the playoffs? I'll Actually, I'll start with that one. I, I think my answer is quick and simple. I think a, I think a one-loss Alabama team makes the college football playoff. Absolutely. Um if you're winning the SEC championship, my assumption is you're beating Georgia. Uh, and even if Georgia has one loss, I mean, that's still that's still going to be an elite tier one top, top win. Your only loss is coming to a good Texas team. Admittedly, it is at home, but you'll have enough. If, if Alabama is winning out, you'll have a win over a top-ranked Georgia. You'll have a win over Tennessee. You'll have a win over LSU. So I think, you, I think a win over Ole Miss, I, I think you've got enough good wins there to certainly be a playoff team he might be a four seed because there might be three undefeateds coming in florida state washington and michigan but i still think you got to give that four spot to alabama in that scenario yeah i mean 
It's a tough question this year. Uh, it it would have been easier um, when when times were down. But, I mean, the long story short is we've never seen a scenario where a one-loss SEC championship champion didn't make it uh, into the playoff. And, and so you got to think that it will happen. That being said, we're sitting in the tricky part of the year where not everyone has played each other and not everyone has beaten each other up yet. Um I mean, look, we, there is a scenario where Oklahoma, Washington, uh, Michigan, and Florida State all go undefeated. And, and in that scenario, a one-loss OCC champion, champion does not make it in. Uh, Alabama would not make it in. So you, I can't say definitively. Now, that being said, we've never seen that scenario. I also – don't know this year if a one-loss SEC champion is going to get the benefit of the doubt over a one-loss. The question: Do they get the benefit 12. over the one-loss Ohio State? And, yeah, and, and you've got Alabama sitting here. I mean, say Texas is that one-loss Big Twelve champion, uh, and they've got the head-to-head over Alabama, so they're obviously going to get in uh, over Alabama because they could go write out the rest of their schedule, then beat Oklahoma. Now, that being said, I don't see all that happening. Uh, at, at the end of the day, these teams are going to end up with more losses, most likely. Uh, and, and there's going to be an, an open slot there, at least in the four seed, for a one-loss champion uh, of any conference. Yep. So you make an excellent point there. There's, there's going to be... You're right. If if those four teams go undefeated, Oklahoma, Washington, Florida State, and Michigan and or Ohio State, like th- those are your four playoff teams. It's that simple. You got four undefeated big conference champions. And unfortunately the SEC gets left out, which would there'd be questions, of course, if the SEC gets left out, but you got to go at the undefeateds. And then it comes down to like, are you gonna take a let's say Ohio State's only losses to Michigan or Michigan's only losses to Ohio State. Do you take a one-loss Alabama over a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Michigan? That's yeah, and that and that depends on – I mean, are, are we talking they won the Big Ten championship uh, with one loss or no championship? Cause, well, Ohio State and Michigan State are on the same side of that bracket. So if, if that's right. one so, loses so, to I mean, each other, they wouldn't be able to play in it. Yeah, yeah. and if you're talking a one-loss non-Big Ten champion versus a one-loss SEC champion, it's going to – at the end of the day, the Big Ten isn't any better than the SEC this year. Correct. Uh, there's three good teams, or two and a half good teams, just like there has been every year, and then a bunch of bottom feeders. And all the and they're all in the East. There's three good teams all in the East in the Big Ten, right? Which is hilarious. And, and so, um, so I I think if you're Big Ten, you're really pushing for undefeated this year, especially. ACC is kind of in the same boat. Uh, now Florida State did a good job by scheduling that LSU game at the beginning of their season, and through doing that, they've got a big win under their belt. Ohio state did the same thing by scheduling Notre Dame. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially Alabama, I mean, they're not going to punish them too much for scheduling a good game at the beginning of the season and losing by 10 to Texas team. Yeah. Um, that was the number four ranked team at the time. Yeah. Unless it's Texas standing between them. And at the end, I, I, what the final four committee has shown time and time again, is they like to, uh, 
appreciate the guys that schedule those harder games and depreciate those people that do not. And so I, I think that Alabama will get the benefit of the doubt for playing that Texas game because uh, it, it's going to give them a stronger strength of schedule at the end of the year as long as it's not Texas sitting between them and that fourth seat. And now time for a quick commercial break. This podcast is actually sponsored by The Cottage Shop, the premier wedding shop in Savannah, Georgia, and your one-stop shop for wedding registry, fine china, calligraphy, and custom invitation design. The Cottage Shop, where weddings happen. I like it. I, I agree, Tuck. Let's uh, let's keep it moving. Two questions left, listener. This next one's going to be quick for me. I I hated this question, so you know who you are <laughs> who sent this question in. I absolutely hated it, but thanks for sending it. Uh, what's more likely to happen? The Gamecocks win one national championship in my lifetime or the Georgia Bulldogs win 10 national championships in my lifetime? My answer is simple. It's that Georgia gets to 10 because I don't, I don't think South Carolina is ever going to get one. So, you know, Georgia will beat us to 10 before we get our one because we'll never get to one. Oh, man, I thought we were going to argue about this one, Dan. Um, I, I mean, in what world do we win? An, it's just it, it. I don't think we have the infrastructure, location, talent. I don't think we have like anything you need to win a national championship, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're what? We're 32. So let's put this at 82. So we 60 got 60 years. Yeah. 60. We'll make it to 90. We'll make it to 92. Guys of our health. <laughs> I drink five beers every time I hop on this podcast. I ain't making it to 92. You're doing that. I've already had like heart issues at 22. Got, <laughs> we're making it. We're going to do it, listeners. We're going to make it. Um, so let's give us, I don't know, 50 years. Um, Let's do 50. I like that. 82. 50 years, eight, eight championships in the next 50. I mean, that's uh, what? I mean, one in that's five, 20%. That's a lot. Yeah. Of, I mean, it's hard to get to. Uh, but we only need. It's one every six years, basically. Yeah. And I, I think that, honestly, until South Carolina shows me, I, I think we've honestly, sadly, seen South Carolina at their peak uh whisperer but that being said i would have loved to see those south carolina teams in the 12 team playoff and see if they maybe could have won a couple games and maybe given it a little run giving it a little scare um i think they might have had the talent to do it but until south carolina wins an sec championship or even, I mean, compete some more than one, I can't really give them much of a shot of, of being there. And, and like you said, it, it has to do with location, infrastructure, finances, everything else under the sun. Yeah, I mean, everything you need to win a national championship, we don't have. We're not checking any of the boxes. So I just don't see that happening. So nice, nice depressing question. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that question. I will say that I did what I love about the 12 team playoff is the fact that it gives teams like South Carolina, who I don't believe will ever quite get over the hump of being the absolute best, but will occasionally get over the hump of being a top 10 team. And it gives y'all, your entire fan base, the drive and power to try to get there. 
and like I, I, the enthusiasm that'll be around a South Carolina playoff game just sounds like it's going to be amazing for football. It gives us hope, Tuck. There's hope. Like I, you've heard me say this, and I, I'm I'll say it on the pod just because people will hear me say it socially. I think there's a world where like South Carolina could make the 12 team playoff in 2025 or 2026, assuming all this young talent pans out. So yeah, I don't disagree. I don't see why not. It gives us hope. Um, The the one positive there, Tuck, is I, we have this freshman quarterback I've talked about in the pod named Lenore Sellers, who I think could be the guy that gets us there. And then our offensive line is terrible current state, but we've got two true freshmen who have been really, really good starting now. And then we have two of the top three tackles in the country coming in next year. So we could have four like legitimately like five star type offensive linemen. Um, so you give me four really good offensive linemen with a generational quarterback and anything's possible. That's now, right. will, will it pan out that way? Probably not. But that's that's what's keeping <laughs> me sane in the current moment. Uh, whatever you need to cling on to, Dan. Yeah, whatever I need for whatever. What that's going to keep me going to eighty-two, Tuck. You're exactly <laughs> right. kind of thought that's going to keep me keep this heart going. Um, last question. I really, I really. Let's end on a fun one. What do the big SEC guys think about sign stealing? And Tuck, I'd, I'd, I'd like to start with this one if that's okay. Lead it have off. You, have you seen the uh, the book that the Michigan sign stealer guy? wrote the Michigan manifesto. No. All right. It got leaked. So if, if the listeners are interested, you can Google Michigan manifesto. This guy wrote this like 600 page document that got seized and it's called the Michigan manifesto. And, um, it's basically like the plan. It's his plan to basically like lead Michigan football to just basically like multiple, multiple national championships. And for, and for basically him, um, him to be like the de facto leader of Michigan football, like over basically Jim Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> it is fascinating. You, you know, this Tuck. I love for anyone who's played fantasy football with me. I love a good manifesto. Um, I've written, I've written many, let's call them quasi manifestos myself. I'm tempted Tuck. I really want, I want us to do a big sec guys manifesto where i just muse about south carolina for like 350 pages i think that would be an electric an electric read i can read it on the podcast and take us about 60 episodes it'd be great <laughs> we'd average two and a half listeners per episode um i don't know that might take us off dan might, might listen to the <laughs> thousand this guy's just crazy enough um but so this guy named Connor Stallions uh, works for Michigan, and his job was essentially to go to opposing teams. For the listeners, his job was to go to opposing teams' games and basically film their signs. Uh, and he was in—I think he was in the Navy. He was in the yeah, he was in the Naval Academy, uh, and he was in the Marines too. Or he went to the Naval Academy and then uh, joined the Marines. Uh, and his specialty in the military was code breaking. So like, it's not hard to be like, oh, you hired a 28 year old ex Marine whose specialty is code breaking. And what did you want him to do? Like, all right. So it it obviously points to sign stealing. There's a lot of evidence they were doing this. So pretty interesting. I'm, I'm pro sign stealing. I think everybody does it. I think that's just part of college football. So I'm not against it. And the the funny thing is that any sort of punishment is going to be up to the Big Ten commissioner. 
I'll tell you right now, he is not going to punish an undefeated playoff Michigan football team. He's not going to say, no, take, take our playoff team away. We're going to punish them and say no bowl game. Uh, and that that is one thing about college football that I think is inherently unfair. If the South Carolina Gamecocks were caught sign stealing tomorrow, same situation. Um, <laughs> Y'all would we, we would the dirt. We would be immediately punished. We're talking like death penalty esque punishments. And if the Georgia Bulldogs were in the exact same situation, got caught, exact same things, exact same time, no punishment because the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, would say, well, you know, Georgia's our horse. They're going to take us to the playoff. That's going to get us a bunch of money. Um, so schools are treated differently. Uh, and the Blue Bloods, the big schools, the winners, really, um, those are the spoils of war, they call them. That's that's one of the spoils. So I'm pro-sign stealing. I think everybody does it. This Connor Stallions guy cracks me up. Uh, if anyone hasn't read the Michigan Manifesto, just read some of the pages. It's It's electric. It's wild. So th- those are my thoughts on sign stealing. I, I think I think it's fair game. I think it's just part of the part of the gang. You want to hear game. my favorite conspiracy theory that came out of this? Yes, love it. Um, so and John Skeeter sent this to me. It, it, some article written about this, but essentially, you know, it, it was shown that Michigan went to Georgia, Bama, Clemson, and Tennessee. Uh, towards the end of the season last year to s- steal signs from them. Th- this yep. guy a- and apparently went to the Tennessee Vandy game and to some Clemson game. And then he did all this right before South Carolina beat oh, the you two. You stole uh, my conspiracy theory. I saw that too. It killed me. It oh was the God. best Continue. thing ever. Continue. And Tell so, our listeners. So they're saying that, they think that Michigan sent the sign information to Shane Beamer so that Shane Beamer could beat UT and beat Clemson and knock them out of the playoff uh, so that, you know, other teams could come in, which is – and, and put I love that so teams much. like TCU in there, which I think was the funniest – just it makes zero sense but just hilarious i saw uh, that and i cried and it was a, there was a big thread on twitter from the from the uh <laughs> from the tennessee fans who were talking about this they basically said uh shane shane beamer had a secret meeting with jim harbaugh where he paid shane beamer paid harbaugh for the signs <laughs> and then and then harbaugh told him he also had to clemson signs so it was like a buy one get one free and this led to us beating Clemson, Tennessee, and Clemson. Such a great conspiracy theory. Obviously, I, total bullshit, but such a great conspiracy. Yeah, theory. I mean, it makes zero sense. Uh, but absolutely hilarious because who ended up making it in? I, I mean, was it Ohio State that made it into the four seed last year because they got knocked out? Yep, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's obviously the funny part. Ohio State made it, and, and also why would Harville not want to play the teams that he knows the signs on? Uh, that, that that would be the team I would want to play. Uh, but it just it makes no sense, which is the best kind of conspiracy. Uh, theory. Uh, the ones that just get caught up in the SEC threads and and just go down this crazy rabbit hole. Um, but as far as my stance on it in general. I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm 50 50 for it. I mean, I, I I guess every team does it, but like hiring a fucking code breaker and sending him to other teams 
I, there's no reason why you shouldn't know every play that that team's calling. And that kind of ruins the game. Now, like if you're sitting there and you hear the other team's quarterback say, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, and you make the deduction that it's going to their best wide receiver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like then that, yeah, that, like that, that's pretty easy thing. code to break. Cause yeah. Good, good example. But, but like in re- watching film and all these other things and, and, and figuring out what might be a run versus a pass or something like that. But like, I just feel like it's so over the fucking top. Um, and that guy's job, Tuck, was to he stood by Jim Harbaugh with a giant, like basically play sheet that had all the signals and what they meant. Right. And there's uh, pictures and videos of that where you can clearly see it's like this means they're gonna do this, this means they're gonna do that. So Michigan wasn't exactly super subtle with this thing. They weren't exactly trying to hide it. No, it's, I mean it's outrageous. Uh and, and I don't I don't see how they don't get punished. I mean, it sounds pretty obvious. It's so uh, I'm wondering if they're waiting until after this Ohio State game, see how that pans out. If they lose, maybe they come down with a punishment. If they lose and get punished immediately. (laughs) Or or wait till the offseason and then come down with something. But, I mean, it's clearly written that it is illegal to send someone to games to steal signs and stuff. And listening to Kirby Smart talk about it, it's kind of funny. They're like, dude, he's like, if I was sitting there thinking that much about – what the other team was running, I would have no idea how to call plays in my own head. Like he's like, that would just be way too much for me. Oh, and did you see the Kirby, the Kirby uh, comment he made today that has the Michigan fans all upset? No, what did he say? He basically said, uh, the last time like Georgia played Michigan, the last time we played, uh, Michigan, yeah, yeah, there yeah. was no indication of any sign stealing. <laughs> yeah. was them. And the Michigan fans are like, that's even worse. Call us cheaters. <laughs> Don't tell us you dominate. You're not like, even good at cheating. You losers. Oh, um, so funny. There was no indication. <laughs> well, it's like, dude, if, I mean, God, if you are stealing signs against TCU and still losing, then God knows. Like, it, honestly, it's just kind of sad at this point. If they're going yeah. to, these links like well uh, hiring coders from the navy like that's just outrageous to me um so i i am against that i guess i can confidently say i like it all right one one for sign stealing and one against so 50 50 split there we we don't need more coaches on the field it's college football there's already too many i mean florida has like 65 analysts it's unbelievable it's like a giant corporation it's outrageous. They're, they're You're just, so bad. Like, can we just step up there and play the damn game? I Seriously. mean, just hike, step up and hike the ball. Let's play football. Right. Uh, I just, I don't, it's getting a little too much, but we'll see what happens. May, hope, I'm hoping they come down hard and not because I hate Michigan and I want them out of the way or anything like that. Honestly, as a Georgia fan, I want to play Michigan this year. I, I want to see the best versus the best, but. Uh, I don't, I don't want to see it continue. I don't want, I don't want Georgia to hire because the, I mean, that's inevitably what's going to happen. Oh yeah. It, if, it, if it comes down light and it comes out to not be a big deal, Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, Florida state, all these teams are all going to have their own guy coming in and doing that exact same role. Uh, we, we don't feel the need to 
respond or even dive into this question because it, it might take us on a rabbit hole, but you know, the, the offensive coordinator can be in the helmet in college now. So like, why, why do we even have signals? Why isn't your offensive coordinator just saying like, do this, check to this. Yeah. I think it's just because it's spotty. Um, Oh, is that hey, the deal? I, like they don't yeah, lose so, sometimes if it's, or something with the if it's too service. loud, you can't get it. If yeah, that there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, I can see it now. Jim Harbaugh hires some IT specialist to be on the <laughs> sideline who hacks into the helmet and can hear. And that everything. Next thing you see is Mike McCarthy just with both hands on the side of his helmet, just shaking his head, looking at Jim Harbaugh. Like I, I don't, I can't hear anything. Oh, I can totally see Jim Harbaugh hiring like just a hacker. I mean, like he's hacked <laughs> in, he's hacked into the helmets. He's hearing everything. And you have like some like nerdy looking guy with a laptop sitting right next to Jim Harbaugh. But, just, yeah banging on the keyboard i will say yeah. maybe they figure something out with ohio state signal calling because it's worked the past couple years yeah you're on to something all right tuck well i think that's it that's our sec mailbag those were our 10 questions we ran through them right at about an hour so our timing was good i think it's a i think we did it good yeah. episode sounds good brother well i uh appreciate it and good work Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Big SEC Guys. We are now on Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. Please follow, like, subscribe, and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show.